Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Pulpit. I'm Richard, and I'm here with Pastor Jacob this week. How's it going, Jacob? You know, I'm glad to be here. Yeah? Yeah. It's uh, We're recording late in the evening on Sunday, because you have a trip you're heading out on tomorrow. Normally, we do it like tomorrow or Tuesday. But Right, yeah. I um, do some work for the North American Mission Board, so I fly out tomorrow morning um, to get some training, and hopefully we'll be better equipped for that work. Better you than me. I don't like traveling at all, uh, but you know, it's kind of... We're rushing into this because you just preached this morning. I'm still processing some of the stuff you said, so uh, maybe this will be helpful just for me to talk it out with you a little bit. And that that makes two of us. I yeah. <laughs> am, I've been laboring uh, in this series for the better part of a year and a half, and still feel like I'm just um, getting into the water. So, what what did you preach on this morning? So this morning, um, I started the series "Leader on the Hill." It is a um, 13 to 15 week study on the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, specifically focused on the words of Jesus as he delivered instruction early in his ministry. Um, so this morning was a, a, not just an overview or an introduction, but I actually took the time uh, to just read the entire Sermon on the Mount. So all of Matthew 5, all of Matthew 6, all of Matthew 7, which was a really... Um, let's just say an interesting journey for me because I I read scripture on a regular basis to people, but never uh, that much. Yeah. And it was actually kind of cool to hear. I don't think I've ever actually heard like the words of the Sermon on the Mount just out loud in a preaching setting like you might have heard him saying it, you know, at the time, in a sense, not to put that on. Sure. Well, you know, as I as I prepared my initial plan for this first sermon was to give a short introduction and then to deal with the Beatitudes 5, 1 to 12. But the more I thought about it, I, I just considered it might be helpful for us to hear this sermon in its entirety before we look at it piece by piece. Uh, certainly Jesus didn't yeah. break it down in little pieces. He delivered it all at once. Right. I'm just like, as you were reading it today, I was putting myself in the mind of being someone there and hearing all of that at once because it is like an information overload all at one and, and it's heavy stuff the whole way through the whole way you're thinking wow okay that too right and, and, and you don't even have time to think about that because you're on to the next thing that you're not doing right and, right and it's just amazing <laughs> and it does not appear that jesus ever took a homiletics class i mean <laughs> this is not how i was taught to preach i mean he goes from marriage to generosity he starts with this overwhelming list that i mean you're disqualified you know by the time he sits down and starts talking then you yeah. finish with this stirring illustration of, well, which house are you going to build? And so it, it, it does really at times feel like it's all over the place. But at the same time, this is a king delivering law. And so, you know, he's writing his own rules while he's delivering this. Was there anything that, um, you know, I don't know how far in advance you plan your sermon series and things, but was there anything leading into this one that made you think, you know, this is the time to hit? on this kind of a text. I mean, this is going to be a, a multiple-week uh, obligation at this point, a uh, pretty lengthy sermon series. Yeah, you know, I think it was probably in early to middle 2015 that I started looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, a couple of things were taking place culturally in the middle of 2015. The entire election cycle was starting to kick off. And so as I considered the disposition and the constitution or makeup of the church and what would take place and what would be revealed in the church over the course of those months, 
I considered it would be really helpful for us to hear from Jesus in the midst of putting a new leader on Capitol Hill. And so you can hear in there the, the real seeds of the title of the series itself, Leader on the Hill. I think it's, it's interesting to see, I mean, like during a political season, you see a lot of speeches like all the time. And, you know, even you know, as a Christian, we hear someone preach every week. And so we're, we're kind of accustomed to hearing that. But like the culture at large is hearing some lengthy speeches. And I think it's a cool thing to see. Well, here's how Jesus delivered one. Right. And, you know, one of the things that's a, a sharp contrast with Jesus and the current speeches or political discourse is he he did not back away from anything right. i mean you know we're in a season where people are crafting speech they're hiring um professionals to come in and help them in order to say just the right thing to elicit support and not offend and it does not appear that jesus had any of that in mind it was i'm going to deliver what is good for you what is helpful for you and what is glorifying for me and come what may, I'm going to give it. And yeah. so uh, it would, I think we would be hard-pressed to see a present political religious leader deliver what Jesus delivered and be standing afterwards. It'd be shocking. And I mean, obviously, Jesus was not standing long after he delivered this. I mean, there was a significant penalty uh, for him proclaiming this new law. And, you know, I think part of that contrast can be seen in the verse that you kind of highlighted a few times this morning. Um, he taught as one who had authority. Like, he didn't teach as someone that was offering opinion or perspective or here's what I think we should do. He taught as someone that said, this is what we should do objectively. This is just objectively how things should be. Right, yeah. So you're, I think you're referencing Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And it's interesting, that the words that are chosen there, the crowd uh, was astonished. And I don't know that that is um, signifying... Um, conversion or regeneration. They were just amazed at what they saw. Um, in their minds, uh, someone who would deliver something like this was uh, a scribe, as listed there. And this was a person who would read someone else's words. Jesus wasn't doing that. Uh, Jesus wasn't pulling from an Old Testament text. Jesus was delivering something as an authority. And when he did pull from it, he was adjusting it. In a sense, he was, he was, you have heard it said this, he was pulling from it, but, but only to almost double down and that's make correct. It completely yeah, another thing. It was almost to, to open up fully and help them see uh, an even greater sense and a, a stronger application of, of the law that they had so twisted in order to fit the external demonstration of their faith. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's actually going to go into your heart. That's what we're going to deal with. That, just hearing you talk about that is putting me in mind of one of the questions that I had had. And early on, um, you quoted somebody that was talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I can't remember who it was that you quoted. Today? It like, yeah, it was like a long quote towards the beginning. Um, maybe you'll remember it as I'm saying this, but he mentioned about how Jesus had this this departure from the eye for an eye, Old Testament Oh, yeah, law. you want to know who that was? That was actually an excerpt from The Art of Manliness. Nice! Uh, yeah. Nice! <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think in the, um, the sermon I, I said that was a social commentator, but, I mean, that would be the case. But yeah. they were uh, profiling what they considered some of the most significant speeches in history. And they actually and, included uh, that, which is interesting. They did, where uh, Time magazine did not. Um, and I, I don't agree with everything that was said there, but I thought it was fascinating yeah. That this, I mean, totally secular, non-religious entity that's teaching men how to be men um, considered the words of Jesus that influential. And I, th I think the phrase they used was a radical departure from what they had considered yeah. in that time. Yeah. 
I guess that was one of my questions, um, hearing you preach through and hearing you read through the entire section. There are certain sections, and I, I know this isn't the case, Jesus is not opposed to God's law in any way. I get that. But when you hear him preach things uh, you know, about, you've heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament law, and then he says, but I say, and he almost adds to it or adjusts it. Um, how does that work itself out with Jesus? I mean, he fulfilled the law, right? We know that he... Right. At, at no point did he break the law or anything like that. I mean, did you have any thoughts about about his words and and the way that he was using the law in a sense, but then he was also... It, it almost sounds like critiquing the law, which is... I don't want to say that, because I feel like he probably wasn't doing that. He was probably critiquing the um, opinions people had of it, but... Yes. So, and Jesus actually says in the sermon, you know, I, I didn't come to... To, to break it. I came to fulfill it. And he talks about not one thing being changed in it until it's absolutely fulfilled. And, and I shouldn't even say until because it, it's going to be accomplished fully. And he, he did that. I, I think one of the things that, that is so often difficult for us to grasp, like going all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, we look at the Ten Commandments and those are all framed in a, a negative sense. But what's the positive aspect of that? Well, if you take each of the Ten Commandments and actually put them in a positive light, it's revelatory of who God is. I mean, it is a perfect picture of an absolute sovereign who is in control and absolutely righteous. And so it's almost as if Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, look, you've taken what was given to you in the, the, the Ten Commandments, and you've broken it down to try to fit your own life and to demonstrate your righteousness externally without ever considering the heart. Well, God's always been after the heart. He's always been after the, the makeup of who we are, not just the work of our hands. And I think that's what Jesus drives back to. And I think we could easily say, oh, well, he's, he's discontinuing the law and adding something new. And I don't think that's what's happening. I think what Jesus has done is he's actually opened it up for us to see what the intent was all along. And so for a man to say, well, I've not committed adultery, but to have done so in his mind and his heart, there's a, a disparity in his own thought. Almost what James would say, he's, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I think the, the difficulty, at least in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus is talking to people who apparently are deceived. They're not able to see, yes, I have been committing murder. I have been doing, you know, I have not been, I think that's where Jesus was getting at. He was trying to reveal to people, this is where you actually are, and this is what my people will be. And that, that idea I talked about this morning of, you know, this is a picture of a kingdom citizen. This is what God's people look like. And so this is what we measure ourselves against. And so if you want to see a perfect picture of what a person looks like that lives out Matthew 5, 6, and 7, well, you look at not a great Christian, not a mom or dad who loved the Lord, not a, you know, Puritan. You look at Jesus himself. He's the one who fulfilled it. That's really helpful to, to think about it in that way. And I think hearing you say that, it kind of puts me in mind of he was almost dealing with the, the letter of the law and the way people had broken it down and be able to take like specific phrases and found ways to work their will around it. And like, well, I didn't specifically violate it in this real specific way. Um, but he's pulling on their heart and saying, yeah, but, but you would have if the, the social construct wasn't there to keep you from it, and you've done it in your heart that you would. Um, so I, would you say it's fair to say that he's not—well, he definitely said he's not abolishing the law, but he's not uh, critiquing the law. He's not uh, making the law into this bad thing. He's, he's more critiquing their propensity to 
find ways to get around it or to justify themselves uh, just because they haven't acted on a particular desire, even though that desire was there and they wanted to. So I think one of the, the major problems that Jesus was confronting in his day and we see now is the, uh, we could just say moralism or, or the, sure. the, the fleshing out of legalism and the, the reality that Jesus had to say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It was almost as if Jesus knew when he was saying this, they were going to question his authority. They were going to question, can you really say that? And so he almost offers a preemptive strike to say, don't, don't question if I'm able to do this. Don't question if I am challenging God's law. You're the one who's not been fulfilling it, and now I'm going to show you what it looks like. Jumping back into uh, maybe the earlier parts of, of his sermon, he's giving the Beatitudes. Uh, I mean, you hear you know the rest of the, the sermon that Jesus preached there, and it's heavy stuff. And if you were... Uh, if that's all you read, it could be very, um, I don't want to say discouraging, but in a sense discouraging, because like you fall short in so many ways of this uh, idea that, that Jesus is putting out there. And I think you spoke today of, um, I think, verse 3 being sort of necessary to even begin to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, I think it was. That's correct, yeah. yeah in um, his uh, book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd-Jones actually says 5-3 is the linchpin for the... I don't, think he, I don't think he says the linchpin, but functionally that's where he's getting at uh, for the entire Sermon on the Mount. A person who cannot understand or um, admit to the poorness of their spirit, everything else is, is it's a moot discussion. You can't even get to it until you recognize the level of dependence. And I think one of the, the fascinating things for me that Lloyd, Lloyd-Jones was helpful in me understanding is the ability that I have to even move to a place of poorness of spirit is a gift of grace that God has to give to me. Mm. I, I can't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm poor of spirit. I, I, I am totally dependent on God. Like for us to even confess that or have that thought is a gift of grace and love from God to us. The vast majority, well, I won't even speak for anybody else. Before God helped me see that, I was not poor in spirit. I didn't need anything. I was self-sufficient. I was independent. I was on a track to take care of myself. And so when I said this morning, you know, even 5, 1, and 2 are a demonstration of grace. You know, a king is a king regardless if his people hear him. And so Jesus, in loving these people, gathers a crowd, sits down among them, and delivers this. And what a measure of his kindness and grace to us that he has seen fit and his sovereignty to record this and pass it through the annals of history to give it to us, that you and I proverbially would be sitting here and we would hear these words of Jesus. I mean, nothing but grace, really. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think what you struck on there, too, is really important. Like, you don't just wake up and you're the born spirit. Like, um, you don't just choose to be that. Like, that, that. I believe that you're right about that. That is a gift from the Lord that that changes who you are as a person. And really, part of being born spirit would be being thankful for being born spirit because... And, and I think realizing, too, um, it, I can't even perfect that. Right. Um, and I, the, the grander picture of specifically the Beatitudes, and I'll pull this out in the weeks to come... Um, 
I am able to be poor in spirit because Jesus was poor in spirit. I am able to be a peacemaker because Jesus was a peacemaker. I am able to be pure in heart because Jesus was pure in heart. I am able to endure righteous, or excuse me, for persecution for the sake of my righteousness because Jesus did that. So every one of those beatitudes, I can walk into it and by God's grace and Jesus' example and his empowering, I can fulfill those because he has done it for me and before me. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Really quickly, I, we're running out of time here really fast, but uh, one of the things that um, I heard from uh, w- one friend in particular of mine, and, and I know I've wrestled with this as well, so you, you read this text, and maybe you even hear the part about you got to be poor in spirit first, and that's something that's a gift from God. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm there, and I'm reading this, and I'm realizing you know, I fall short, and, and I, I want to do better, but I don't know how. And, and then you get to like 548. Mm-hmm. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And you go, okay, well... Um, I'm definitely not going to do that in myself at, at any point, even as a Christian that's being sanctified and moving along. So one, once you've come to that realization of, you know, I'm coming poor in spirit, I have nothing to offer, I am, uh, you know, submitting myself to the Lord, what do you think are some first steps people can take to, to really um, make this, this particular passage of Scripture, this sermon Jesus delivered, helpful to them and begin to um, be that kingdom citizen you're talking about? Yeah, so I think the first thing a person has to do is not just recognize the poorness of spirit, but embrace it and realize I'm rendered powerless to produce holiness in my life. Um, So there's some great biblical examples of what that poorness of spirit looks like and then the result of it. Um, I think about Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So he, he's before the Lord. He recognizes that there's, there's nothing that he brings to the table. But then he says, here am I, send me. So it's, it's as if he knows he brings nothing. But God, whatever I don't have, whatever I do have, use it as you will. You know, I think about Gideon um, threshing wheat in, or no, excuse me. Um, he's, what's he doing? He's, he's got grapes in the Grapes and the, the wheat deal or wheat and the grape deal? I, I'm not sure. It's one or the other. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, uh, actually, give, you, give me a second. I'll come to it. But Gideon is, is before the angel of the Lord, and he just he's like, look, I am functionally dysfunctional. I don't have anything here. And so it's in that place that God gives him grace and then assigns him to something. And Gideon has nothing to do at that point but to be obedient. And so it's at that place I think that we begin to move forward. So Jesus says in the end of the the Sermon on the Mount itself, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So herein, I think, comes part of the confusion. Okay, well, there's nothing in the Sermon on the Mount I can do in and of myself, and so maybe I should just do nothing and just, you know, let God take over. Well, yes, but at the same time, clearly Jesus is saying, you've got to do something with what you've heard. And so while the Beatitudes and Paul's instruction to the Galatians in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, those are things that are going to take place in us as a result of Christ being in us. There are parts of this sermon, though, that are clear instruction. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I get it. I can't seek God's kingdom without God's help. But once God's helping me... I've got some responsibility in this as well. And so for your um, new friend or your friends who's, who's a new Christian or you, even you and I, I think it would be helpful to read through this and become familiar with it 
and to really see what are those practical instructions that Jesus has given to us. Not to try to build my credibility with him. It's not as if I'm stepping away from the, the Beatitudes and going to say, okay, now I'm going to tool myself to do these things, and Jesus is going to be proud of me for getting here. Well, that's not what he's after. He wants that utter dependence, and then he's going to give us the help to live that life of honorable holiness. And so whether it's um, living a, an honorable life in marriage or dealing with our possessions or trusting the Lord for what we need, um, those things are going to grow out of a heart that is bent on what Jesus says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. So w- what did Gideon do? What did Isaiah do? What does your friend have to do? What's called obedience. We hear the words and we do them. Yeah, I think it's reassuring too as 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 a kingdom citizen, as a, as a follower of Christ to understand that uh, you know, whatever route the world takes, and you know, there's any number of opinions about the direction we're headed in and things like that, but that there is a king who's actually above all of that in the first place, and that, that our ultimate allegiance is to him, and that he delivers perfect words, and he like gives you the absolute objective standards of what God expects and requires and desires and what his character is. Uh, so we need to anchor ourselves to that, especially when you have these mini saviors showing up on TV. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, again, I think it's, you know, we say it all the time. I heard you say it just last week, the, the word matters here. You know, for a person who is in absolute disarray, confusion, and panic right now, open your Bible to Romans chapter 13, you know. It's God appoints, who appoints and raises up and pulls down. You know, I just finished personally as I read through the Bible, um, reading through the book of Daniel, and, you know, <laughs> God takes, you know, these men who don't seem to deserve to lead and God uses them for a specific purpose. And, uh, you know, nations rise and fall, but God's reign is forever. And as a citizen of the kingdom, we can take great comfort in that. So November 2016 in America will come and go if the Lord tarries. And we will continue being his sons and daughters. That's, that's really encouraging. Pastor Jacob, there are like a thousand other questions I could probably ask you from the text you looked at this morning, but um, we're, we're going to circle around to a lot of those things. So I'm excited for the coming weeks uh, to hear more from Christ and, and maybe get a little more understanding of some of the things he said. I'm not going to lie. There are certain things. You read the whole section, and there's certain little paragraphs there where I'm like, man, I don't know that I even fully get what he's saying there. And I'm excited to, to dig into it and, and hopefully do this as well with you and um, draw some of that stuff out. So thank you so much for uh, being with me here tonight. I know you're busy tomorrow and it's late and we appreciate it. Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to it as well. I hope this serves our church and um, I know it'll help sharpen me and I'm sure others who are preaching as well. So I'm grateful for the opportunity for you and your family and the investment y'all are making. That's it for this week. We are going to jump back in. What text are we starting in ne- uh, next week? Do you know? We will be in Matthew 5, 1 to 12. We're actually going to start We're gonna start the 1 to 12. Yep. Okay, awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, and we will, we will do this again next week, and thanks a lot. All right. All right, guys, until next week, this has been Beyond the Pulpit, and uh, God bless y'all.